Hey everyone, you may not know this, but the Know Your Gear podcast is 100% sponsored by patrons. No companies have ever been involved with this podcast. 235 episodes, all sponsored by you guys. And I want to say thank you. And if you want to sponsor, you just go to the Phil McKnight Patreon page. Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to this week's podcast QA. Wayne wanted to know, what is the difference between a guitar tech and a luthier? This is a very common question because the differences are really confusing considering some people who probably shouldn't call themselves luthiers call themselves luthiers. It's not just their fault. I'm not calling anybody out. I've done it. Unfortunately, when somebody calls me a luthier, I don't really sometimes correct them, even though I'm a guitar tech. I used to, but what I found is, is that uh, it's not a great way to start a conversation with, with somebody with, oh, pardon me. Actually, I'm a guitar tech, but a luthier to me is someone who works building guitars or they build guitars. Um, You know, that's the way I do it. We're not going to go. You could probably go and Google and get an exact definition. But the term, the way the industry uses it is if you build guitars, then you are a luthier. If you repair them, you're a guitar tech. You're a technician. You're working on stuff. Although some guitar technicians do refer themselves as luthiers. I'm sure there's a line that gets crossed at some point, stripping the finish, refinishing, rebuilding guitars from scratch at some point you know why aren't you a luthier i don't know but i like to follow that rule which is if they build guitars we'll call them luthiers and if they repair guitars we'll call them guitar techs that's a good rule of thumb however i've never seen a problem using the words either way since they're both basically self-proclaimed uh titles in other words you know somebody just goes hey i'm a guitar tech and somebody goes hey i'm a luthier a lot of pedals out this week i saw uh i saw jhs came out with the rat pedal that's kind of like that uh tube screamer right where it's all the rats in one so many rats 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 <laughs> You know, what's funny is I didn't get to see anything about it other than I saw his, uh, saw the marketing thing with some rats that came up on Instagram. And I was like, oh, why do they have a bunch of rats walking around? And I, I go, oh, it's probably for a rat pedal. <laughs> I just kind of thought that. So obviously the marketing was effective. And then later I saw the announcement that I guess they made a rat pedal that does multiple rat tones. All the rats. So many rats. Um so there you go. And uh, and then I saw LPD Pedals came out with a digital delay. So that's out. I think that officially came out today uh, is what I understood. Oh, Stout Coffee. Yes, the fart pedal. Yes, of course. That's uh, from Chipson, right? They did the fart pedal. Uh, 10 million already sold, I understand. <laughs> I, I heard it's like a six-year waiting list for the fart pedal. I, have, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I saw the fart pedal. I have not listened to it, and I don't know why. It's not like I'm above fart humor by any means. I'm definitely not highbrow in any way. I know Ola did a video, and even though my mouse cursor was hovering over the thumbnail, I was just like, I think it was like, yeah, I've heard a fart. <laughs> so somebody chime in on that. Somebody could tell me like, no, Phil, you're missing out. It's fartastic. So, uh, and uh, yeah, so the fart pedal. So interesting week. <laughs> Rats, farts. <laughs> so maybe jhs will make a multiple fart selectable pedal where you can just like wet fart dry fart (laughs) that's if you guys anybody know josh uh scott at jhs has any kind of reach with him reach out to him and let him know hey man we need a a multiple fart pedal maybe fart burp (laughs) pedal I apologize, not for talking about this. I just apologize that I'm indulging myself by talking about it. You know, the scary thing is, I'll, I'll be honest, when I saw the fart pedal on Instagram, I'm, I follow Chipson. I've talked about Chipson before. Uh, the guys at Chipson are hilarious. I saw them make the fart pedal. And to be honest with you, it's one of those things that as a gear fanatic, 
it puts a chill up your spine before you even laugh. So I've been kind of awkwardly laughing about it because I'm like, ha, 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 that's funny. But also I'm like, yeah, this is that Happy Days episode where the Fonz jumps the shark, right? You're always afraid, like, does this kill the pedal industry? Because literally this is the... This is the joke that kills. This is the spinal tap of pedals. Is is it how silly it's got? I don't think so. I think we're still all going to be pedal addicts for a little while. But it it was a little concerning and it did freak me out. Especially since think about this. Talk about being straightforward and, and upfront about it. I don't even do hardly any pedal videos. I probably did two or three this year, maybe. So it's not like I would. It would affect me in any kind of way from my channel or anything I do. It's just I I love them and I love talking about them. So it's like oh, I don't want them to die. Christopher says, I put together a parts caster, but I can't call myself a luthier. Well, you could call yourself one. <laughs> it's no laws. It's not like stolen valor or, in, or impersonating a police officer or a doctor. You could pretty much be like, I am a luthier. <laughs> I changed the strings once on a guitar. I'm a luthier. Now, will you be laughed at? Maybe people kind of question your sanity. Maybe a little. But there's no legal reason that I understand that you can't just go ahead and say that. You can literally make a shirt that says, I am a luthier. <laughs> And then when people walk up to you, go, can you, can you work on my guitar? You're like, no, I'm not going to do that. Voodoo Fist. What's up, Voodoo Fist? Is can, can guitar strings really make a difference? I tried the String Joy brand, and I was hearing mounds of glorious tone and clarity. I could be imagining that uh, they are good. The answer is yes to both those questions. <laughs> you have to answer truthfully to both that sides of that. There's always a placebo effect. There is... Definitely, besides the placebo effect, there's actually another term. Somebody will probably put it in the comments. There's a there's a term for like when people pay more, they just sometimes just assume it's more. High end brands are notorious for this. High end, I don't want to bag on guitar brands or anybody. Let's just say high end brands like Rolex. You know, I mean, uh, you know, Gucci, right? Whatever, whatever high end brands out there, they have strategies where like, hey, if we charge this much more. People are even more drawn to it because there is there is a world that I'm not part of. Most of you are probably not part of, but there is a world where essentially um, some people want people to see that they have money. So they they want the thing that they own to present that to everybody. There is an effect that happens to us when we pay more money for something. We just assume there's it's a premium, whether that's a sound, whether it's a feeling, whatever have you. So absolutely, can you just go, hey, it's twelve dollars for String Joy, it's six dollars for Dodario, and therefore I. Love string joy more. Absolutely. However, um, it's also possible you're hearing a difference. I hear a little bit of a difference with the string joy string, string joy strings. Um, string joy, and I've said this before, string joy to me is more of a, it's an artisan approach. In other words, we know what it is. It's a small group of people. You got to understand something. Dario, as much as I love the Dario company, it is a very uh, machine operated company, which is why they have great consistency and quality. It's one of the things I love about them. However, they don't employ a crap ton of people because it's not really a heavy hands labor process. They've got a lot of machines to it. Stringjoy is making strings the way Dario did many, many years ago. Um, I know this because I, uh, Jim and John Dario, uh, I was invited to the Musical Instruments Museum in Mesa, Arizona. It was at nighttime, so the museum was closed. It was a one of those seriously like I wore a suit. <laughs> <laughs> right? I had a suit head to toe and you have to wear a suit and it's at night and they hand you wine and they didn't have beer because <laughs> I know I asked and, <laughs> and they, they hand you wine and uh, you uh, are at the, at the like in the movies where the, at the museum's closed and you get to walk the museum at night. Hold on a second. 
And we were there because they had created a new exhibit, and the exhibit was for Daddario. And it was <coughs> – excuse me. I apologize. It was – uh, the machines, the original machines that they literally crank wind the strings, these old like type machines. Maybe they didn't crank it, but it was old. And and J- and John and Jim Daddario told me uh, personally, they told me the story about how they found this in a basement and it was from the original factory and they hadn't seen one in years themselves. Those are the machines that literally Stringjoy uses. <laughs> I recognized it right away as soon as I saw the Stringjoy thing. I was like, oh, that's what they're using. So to me, Stringjoy, you're paying more because you're paying for this hand lab, hand labor. You're paying for the fact that they're making strings the old-fashioned way. Is that real? Does that really translate? It could. I Like I said, I like them, and I don't like a whole lot of strings. However, you could just be paying for the fact that they have small production runs and have to have more hands-on. And, and But I'm okay with that, too, because, again, that's... I, I'm paying people and not machines, and I, I feel okay with that. In other words, here's what I'm going to try to tell you. I think there's a difference between string joy strings. However, what I will tell you is one of the things that I know I'm paying for is the fact that they can't make strings as cheap as Daddario. So I don't. I know I'm not like paying the scam is what I'm trying to say. I know they're not just like, ha-ha, we can make strings for 18 cents less than Daddario, and we're charging twice as much. They, I'm sure they wish that's how it works. Although I don't think so because they're nice people, but you understand as a business. And uh, so I'm glad you hear a difference. I think a lot of people do. I've had friends, I literally, so you know, I have a couple friends that tell me that they, just like you, massive difference. I have a couple friends that told me I couldn't tell a difference. And then they asked me flat out, like if your question didn't ask me this, but if you said, hey, Phil, I can't hear a difference with string joy. I don't feel any difference. Should I pay the difference? And I would say, no, the only, the only thing for you left to do would be to support the small business and that, you know, you could just, you know. <laughs> You could donate money to them, I guess, if that's what you want to do. You buy buy to Dario and then send send them some cash if that's what ma- you know matters to you. Um. Okay, so we have you know what I'm gonna switch over real quick if you guys don't mind. To as I just click multiple multiple screens, I need to refresh this one. What do we have? We have. We'll be right back. Ever wonder how your favorite entertainers and athletes made it from childhood to the spotlight? Join me, Nashville-based entertainment reporter Jennifer Vickery-Smith, as I chat with moms of entertainers and entertaining moms on my hit podcast, Got It From My Mama. You'll hear delightful conversations with moms of everyone from the Jonas Brothers, Luke Bryan, Kelsey Ballerini, Steph Curry, Travis Kelsey, and so many more, sharing the journey from a perspective only a mama can share. New episodes weekly as we share the best conversations of family, faith, and fame on the Got It From My Mama podcast. We have Antique Rocker. With capital R-O-C, he says, have a good weekend. FYI, R-O-C, Rock, is my favorite golf disc. So he's into golf disking. Is that what it's called? I know what it is. It's essentially this thing that where people throw Frisbees into nets, right? There's a couple parks, one in particular uh, that I've been to in my area where they have that. And you just like, and here it's like, <laughs> it looks like a, desert because it's the desert where i live and people just walk through it and throw like golf like there's 
not holes, but nets like me. I don't know how if there's 18 nets or whatever, but I watch people play it. I go for, you know, my wife and I would go for a walk around the park and there would be people playing. Uh, I was calling it Frisbee golf. I guess I had no idea. Now that you're calling it, as soon as you said golf disc, I knew what you're talking about. I've always referred to it as Frisbee golf. I didn't know it had a real name. <laughs> I thought that was the real name, the one I made up in my head, apparently. Um, so cool. So now I know that Rock makes a good golf disc if I ever do that. Thank you, Antique Rocker. Jay says, hey, thanks for everything, Phil. I have an uh, option paralysis. Okay. What is the best Tele style guitar with Rosewood fretboard for under $1,500 to $2,000? All of them. See, that's the problem. When you add in a high budget like that, <laughs> the answer becomes like, you just pick what you want. The, I, the, the question is, the question can only be, at, look, I'll just say 2000 because you said 1500 to 2000 so I'm going to go right to 2000 What's a great Rosewood fretboard Tele for under $2,000? Well, the Carter question would be, which what, which ones aren't not that great? Um, G&L makes some cool stuff at $2,000. Fender, of course, makes great stuff at $2,000. Um, I mean, there's just a ton of guitars. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm trying to think. Like, I, you know, I mean, there's ton. The Shiji guys make a fantastic Tele for $200. The uh, Schecter makes a great Tele for $800. <laughs> That's what I said. It's like, it's like it goes way. Think of this. I could take you from $2,000 all the way down to $200 and still find really good guitars. But I understand, I understand what I'm saying is confirming when you said you have option paralysis because exactly that. There's so many good ones. Here, here's the thing. I, I wouldn't overthink this. If you have a budget and you have an inkling in your, in your mind to buy a high-end Telecaster guitar, um, don't, don't, uh, don't doubt yourself. Uh, like I said, you're not, you're not in a price point where you're like, oh no, I hope I don't buy the wrong one and it falls apart. Nothing's going to like that. If you don't bond with it, there was probably nothing I could say or anyone can say that could help you. You know what I mean? Bond with it. Your instincts will be fine. You can, you can visually inspect the things like, I don't like that kind of bridge. I don't like this kind of pickups. Uh, just go that way. You can always have one custom made too. I mean, like I said, $2,000, it's pretty much everything. <laughs> I mean, you're only cutting out like the boutique ones for sure. Happy Go Lucky says, oh, this is a crazy question. I like this one. It says, hey, Phil, I love the show. When do you know when it's time to move on from a guitar you don't connect with? Okay. He's got a follow-up part, though, I want to read. It says, do I, give, uh, do I give it more time or just cut it loose and find something else sooner rather than later. Look, there's two things you have. This is the, this is a part to this question. That's really tricky. I have personally bought guitars and immediately within seconds hated them. And that was everything I needed to know. And I was, I moved on my way. However, I've also had a couple situations where I've played a guitar that I immediately hated and Maybe it was obviously it was like I bought it used or some situation where I can't just like go exchange it out for something else. So I'm stuck with it. So now I got to flip it to get rid of it. And and then maybe I'm not in a hurry to do that for a lot of reasons. And over time, it just, oh, it just became magic. Um, the the problem is, is that I'm, it's, I'm cautioning you both ways. Uh, don't sell it too fast because... Sometimes the worst thing that can happen to you is you buy a guitar, you don't bond with it, and you sell it or get rid of it, get another one and go, that one's worse, and then you start romanticizing why the other one was better. 
So what I'm saying is, if you're on a time crunch, in other words, like let's say you got 30 days of return at the Sweetwater or Guitar Center or something like that, and you're like, okay, I'm not bonding with this. I don't obviously don't want to pay pay for it if I can get something else. Um, I would definitely do your best to make the decision and don't worry, send it back. It's good. However, if it's something that's like ne- not necessarily a time crunch issue, in other words, maybe you bought it used off a Craigslist ad or something, um, hold on to it and see see if it if you can come back to it. I I have I've had it both ways in my life. Obviously, there was times where, and that's why I don't know where you're at. So I'm gonna just kind of give you the two situations in my life. I've had situations in my life when I bought a guitar, and if I don't love it, bond with it, and it's not magic in every way, it had to go because that was the end of my budget. I couldn't buy anything else. You know what I mean? So it's not like I can buy that and go, well, it's not great. I guess I'll have this not great thing. Um, I had to either sell it or trade it off to get something else, you know, because that was the only way I was going to get something else that I might possibly like. At this point in my collecting of the years and how long I've been doing this, if I get a guitar that I don't necessarily bond with, it can sit around in the background of my life, so to speak, for for weeks, if not months, before I feel like I okay, I gotta turn that money back into my my bank account or or get it into another guitar or something I find I can use. So I would do that, is what I'm saying. If you have the ability to keep trying it, keep trying it. If you don't have the ability, then don't take that chance and, and move on. It's a luxury of your finances is basically what I'm trying to say. A lot of people are going to give you direct advice and say, get rid of it as soon as you don't like it. And some are going to say, try to bond with it. But what I'm telling you is that they're both right. And that's the problem. They're both right. <laughs> you can, um, it's two or three of my favorite. Well, hey, you guys heard this. My Mira's, my Phil's Mira's, Mira's great. I hated the Mira when it came out. I don't know if I told you guys that. And I hated it. By the way, you see me playing the Gibson SG all the time, that Sunburst one? Hated it. Hated that SG. I bought that SG and I was like, oh, cool. I got an SG and I played it. And then I got excited and Ralph got excited. So I bought Ralph an SG. And then we did a shootout with the two SGs and Ralph's was better than mine. That made my situation even worse, knowing that his was like, oh, his neck felt a little better and his sounded a little better. And that SG just rotted on the walls. In fact, I thought it rotted for months. And when you guys mentioned like, man, you're really playing the SG in every video. I don't know what I was doing. I was editing. And sometimes when editing new videos, I need a reference of an old video. So I'll go back in the backlog of videos to download, you know, out some piece or, you know, use a clip and put it in the video. And I started noticing it was on the wall. And I'm like, years ago. And I'm like, how many? How long have I had this? So that SG, I probably had. I'm guessing you guys could know officially because my stuff's all you know, kind of out there on the internet in order. I think it was like two years. I think I had that guitar for two, three. I think since 2017 or 18. I could be wrong. Could be 2019. Either way, two, three years. I had that SG. Did not love it. Did not like it. Did not bond with it. Had no intention of. Even keeping it, it was just sitting around. Like I said, I didn't bond with it, and one day it'll go. And then, I don't know what it was. I picked it up one day, and I started playing it. And I don't know what happened, but something in my life, like, just it bonded immediately to the point where now the mirror has not only been, it's retired, so, you know, officially. It's been, uh, it's been in a gig bag in the closet uh, because I've been, I, every time I play the SG, I, I go, oh, I'll play my mirror. And I go, nah, I'm just going to play this SG, which will led me to wanting a Vela. Cause I wanted something now different to me. The mirror and the SG are very similar, similar bodies, similar shapes, 
different vibes, um, but sa- similar. So that's what I'm going to tell you is that's my whole long story to tell you to caution you. Like like I said, try to experience as much of that guitar as possible, and if it doesn't work, then move on. But definitely try to experience it because you never know. It's it's such a weird emotional thing, roller coaster, an instrument. <laughs> amplifiers are even worse i think (laughs) i have amplifiers the same thing i bought it and i was immediately like i hate this and then now it's my favorite amp and i've had amps where i plugged in and i go man this is the best amp i've ever heard and then five days later i turn it on and it sounds like that fart pedal (laughs) just sounds horrible and i go why did i like this so the juggernaut says hey phil i'm putting a new players plus neck on a baja telly the bushings are a tad loose uh do i need to do something to tighten them thanks as always so when you're saying bushings, so you're saying installing the neck on the thing. So when you say bushings, I'm assuming you mean the, there's four bushings around the neck bolts or would be neck screws. Um, that's what I'm assuming. And when you say loose, here's what I don't know. Sometimes they're recessed into the body. In other words, there's 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 recessed holes in the body where the, the bushings fall into. I just want to make sure I understand the word bushings because sometimes I refer to those like furls. Um, if I am correct in what I'm, I'm stating, that it is that exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about the bushings that would go into the holes or, you know, where the screws go in. If they're loose, in other words, they're not tight in those holes, that's absolutely fine. They just need to be tight against the body. If they're loose, like the screw is loose in there, um, as long as it's uh, se- seating correctly, compressing. Because remember, it's all about the neck. is all about compressing together like this, right? So neck, this is your neck, this is your body. They need to compress as tightly as possible this way. So it, 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 it's just, the looseness shouldn't cause it to shift or do anything as long as that compression is there. So that, that you'll be able to tell real quickly. Hopefully that makes sense. And if I'm wrong, I apologize. But like I said, sometimes when I'm reading what you guys are saying, it's a little hard to time, you know, kind of visualize what it is you're saying. Uh, our race question is, uh, what artists would I like to see get a signature guitar and w- on what brand? Interesting. Um, hmm. So I'd like to, if I could, could I pick a couple, uh, guitars and brands? Cause I'd like to get my brain working a little bit. So the first one that comes to mind is really not, it's, I don't know why it comes to my mind first. So I'm going to say it, but it's about, I want to walk through this probably Mick Mars and it'd probably be a Kramer. Um, I would love to see Mick Mars get a Kramer, especially like the tele, because I, you know, because everybody's going to have a different Kramer for Mick Mars. Uh, I'm the Dr. Feelgood era. That was my first concert I ever went to in 1989. Saw Dr. Feelgood with Warrant. And, uh, and, um, you know, he had, he had the mirror guitar and stuff like that. But to me, I'd probably just a Kramer with telly, like a black telly Kramer (laughs) would be cool. Um, I don't need a special graphic. I wouldn't want that. And I know that's not, I guess that's your question. Yeah, what would I want to see? Yeah, I'd like to see that signature because that's something I would probably, I would probably think about purchasing. Um, that wouldn't be cool. Uh, the problem for this question, of course, is most artists have a signature guitar. I did a podcast with the Tone King years ago, and it's like, what, who, you know, what signature art, what artist has the most expensive signature guitar? And it was mind-numbingly crazy. It was two hours long as we recited. Like and the audience helped. We we came up with what felt like an infinity amount of guitar players with uh, signature guitars, which is why I tell you I will never do a signature guitar. And I always have to preface this, preface it. I have to I have to state that I don't think I'm worthy of a signature guitar. I don't, uh, and that's and that's not why I don't want a signature guitar. 
Okay, that's part of an equation. Like, so I don't think I'm worthy of signature guitar. Great, but I don't want a signature guitar because everyone has a signature guitar. To me, that's how you become unique in the future. <laughs> don't have a signature guitar. That is the most unique thing I think I could do. And it works out for me because I don't think I'm worthy of a signature guitar. <laughs> I only say that because sometimes when I say I would never have a signature guitar, uh, it's a weird thing to say publicly. Here's why. Uh, on one hand, I have half a dozen. I don't even, I would never call them trolls because I think they're right. I have a half a dozen people going, oh, I really feel signature guitar. And then I have a half a dozen companies like, hey, we'd like to do a signature guitar. <laughs> Like uh, the amount of signature products I've turned down since I've been a YouTuber has been, thank God, humorous to me. Otherwise, I would have probably just be, you know, like, in, you know, I'd be in shock. But I found it humorous. Like, really? Wow, that's crazy. But I get it. I get it. You know, um, I don't think so. You know, and I don't I don't want to say anything other than this, but I don't believe you have to be a quote unquote talented guitar player to get a signature guitar what I mean by that, I shouldn't say talented, but I mean virtuoso. I think there's a confusion there, right? Um, so, like, for instance, if uh, if uh, Music Man did a Bowling for Soup uh, signature guitar, I would definitely be all over that. So, you know what I mean? I'm not really a, you know, virtuoso, like, guitar player fanatic, right? So, uh, <sighs> yeah. hold on. There's a great comment. I want to see it. It's for, for some reason, YouTube, like... It blocked it. Oh, it went away. Okay. So I want to hit it. I want to hit it. Somebody said uh, this thing that always cracks me up. Um, somebody said uh, it's because a bunch of, and this is off topic, but I promise I'll keep it on focus. Somebody said that um, uh, that basically these artists like signature guitars because they can sit on their asses and make money. Man, that is the most that is the most incorrect statement ever. And I'm not calling you out. In fact, that's why I'm trying to grab the statement before it disappeared. I'm sorry, somehow it got flagged off. But here's why this is important. No one's making any goddamn money on signature guitars. Now, when I say no one, generally speaking, 80% of the people are not making money on signature guitars. I tell you guys this all the time, and no one seems to listen to me. I I literally have I've I've seen numbers from companies. Companies will tell you, look. There's, there's the, of course, the winners. Van Halen, Clapton, Vi, right? I'm just picking a few. John Mayer, Petrucci. There's a few, right? Those, those guys, I'm not saying they made a lot of money. We're not even getting there yet. I'm saying they sell a crap ton of guitars. That's a crap ton of signature guitars sold. Matt Guitar Murphy did a court signature guitar. I can't even get court to give me an official number, but I think it's in the 20s. Um, most signature guitars are very unprofitable for everyone <laughs> now as a whole for sales of units let me give you an example and i like to point this out um some artists because you know i've i've had a few on the channel now and i've talked to them about this and they'll flat out tell you the royalty deal is simple okay it's very common in this industry and it's a six percent deal so you have to understand something if you make a guitar that the manufacturer sells to a dealer for a thousand dollars you would get 60 of those dollars. Remember, you don't get 6% of the retail, you get 6% of the dealer cost. So again, we're talking about dealer cost of, let's say $1,000 street price is $1,500 to $1,700, depending if it's a bigger box with a bigger profit or a smaller mom and pop store, right? 30 to 40% margins is probably, is very consistent in this industry. So now you're talking about $1,000, the, the artist makes 60 bucks. 
Now, here's the deal. Let's play a game. And I, I shouldn't even need a calculator because this is going to be such stupid. Let's say... Okay. Hold on, hold on. I want to give you a number that makes sense. Okay. Hold on. Okay. So let's say they could sell 2,000 guitars. That's a lot of guitars, right? They'd make $120,000. That's a lot of money. But it's really hard to sell 2,000 guitars first. And second, which is really crazy, is most of the artists, that, that's the irony of this. Most of the artists that can sell high-end guitars, or a lot of guitars, they're they're not worth millions. They're worth tens of millions. So making 120 grand, again, I'm not saying they don't want to make money. And I'm not saying there's not greedy assholes out there. I, I get all that stuff. What I'm saying is, is that in my experiences of interviewing, interacting, you know, doing what I've done for a, a decade or so, which is being a gear fanatic on every level and having no, no life besides talking about this stuff with either the companies, the artists, you, people, is that most of it's, believe it or not, it's, it's ego. I, I can tell you right now, uh, and, and I think nothing spells that more than uh, some of the signature guitars and some of the YouTube arenas. For instance, there are some artists in YouTube that have signature guitars, and the royalties from those signature guitars, I know for a fact, and there's no guessing in this, are a fraction of what they could make if they would just play more guitars on YouTube, right? But they want to have their own signature guitar. You got to understand a lot of people, a, a, a funny part about this is, and it happens to everybody. I'm just as guilty. We're all guilty. Everyone, everyone watching this, we're all guilty. Uh, when I say all, I don't know. There's an age cutoff. I'm going to say it's 30. It could be 20. I don't know. There's an age that, you know, of, of youth, right? Young, you know, it's, it's 30, 30 and younger. I'll say that. I could be wrong. Where they don't understand anymore what we're, what we're talking about, the older players, when we talk about Guitar World magazines and getting the cover of Guitar World magazine, right? Oh, you got the cover of Guitar Ma magazine. Let's be very clear, and I, and I could get in a lot of trouble for this. A lot of trouble meaning, you know, hate on the internet. Jared Dines was on the cover of Guitar World magazine last year. That was nothing. It was nothing. Look, I, I have nothing against the Guitar World magazine, guys. I've met them many times. I've talked to them. They've featured my videos at least 20, 30 times on their site. I'm a Guitar World fanatic, but let's be clear. In no world that exists today did Jared Dines get more exposure being on Guitar World's cover than he did just making videos where he's like, today I'm going to play a 28-string guitar. So he did that. I haven't talked to him about this personally, but I already I can already tell you. He did that because the same reason when they asked to use my videos on their thing. Think about this. When, when Guitar World would use my videos on their website, they put them on there and they and I would, they go, hey, can we use some of your content for our website? And I go, sure. And I would tell all my friends, oh, I was featured in Guitar World. In fact, I was think I was featured in one or two of the magazines uh, for articles and stuff. And I was like, oh, I was featured there. And it was so exciting. In fact, so you know, still to this day, very exciting. And probably the first thing I brag about if I brag. Funny part was I got like 400 subscribers out of that. <laughs> Because because it's 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 we grew up wanting to be on the Guitar World magazine. We wanted to be on Guitar Player magazine, and they're still relevant magazines. I'm not trying to diss, diss them entirely. Okay, I'm just saying the world's changed a little bit. We all have to acknowledge that in a lot of ways. What I'm also saying about signature guitars is everybody kind of dreams of like becoming a rich, successful guitar player, maybe just successful, and having a signature guitar. And talking to a lot of players that have signature guitars, I've learned. 
listening to them, not their statements, just listening to what they say, I can tell you, yeah, I get it. It's their ego. In other words, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all have one. But it was that I want to have a signature guitar more than I want to make this money off the signature guitar. In fact, to the sum, to the degree, I believe, listening to the, a lot of them, a lot of them signed really horrible deals that I, even I was like, why would you sign that? And they were like, well, I want a signature guitar. <laughs> <laughs> right? Some of them have crazy deals where they can only play that guitar wherever they go. And I like chuckle on going, and what do they pay you? And this is an honest to God truth, crazy part of the new world. I can tell you this for a fact. And again, I kind of like Dragnet, right? The names are changed. Is it Dragnet that did that? What was that show that said the names are changed to protect the innocent? I'm not going to tell you the names. I'm just going to tell you uh, that if you, if you believe I have any integrity at all, I'm going to tell you that this is a true story. I'm just going to keep the names out, okay? I have a friend <laughs> which I have a couple. I have a friend that has a signature guitar and this is the crazy part. Um, he, he basically has to play it all the time and he doesn't make really anything from it. And then I have another player who's a friend who literally in one video can make more than the signature player can make in five years. It's crazy. So I, I, and I said that. Why wouldn't you just do this? Why wouldn't you just play with whoever, you know what I mean, who whatever, you know, sponsor you the best? And it's because, again, players like the idea of having a signature guitar. So the reason I bring that up is because I, because here's why. I'm not here trying to insult them either. I don't want to insult them either way. I don't want them to – I don't want to be out there going, they're in there for the money. Or I don't want to say it's all about their ego. I want you to realize that there's different reasons why people do stuff. Everybody likes this weird – broad stroke of this is how it works, right? I believe this, Eddie Van Halen, I've heard so many people tell me that Eddie Van Halen, he's just in it for the money and that's why he sells the gear. I've heard that so many times and I laugh and I go, he's like worth like $9 million. I, I don't think he made, you know, millions off his gear. In fact, I'm pretty sure he didn't. Not millions. He got, he did get some big payouts, but I'm just saying comparable. I want to keep it comparable. Comparably, I don't think Eddie's real drive was that. I think Eddie really wanted... Not his ego, just wanted people to play his gear. I think that's part of it. There's some, there's that. I've told you guys personally all the time. I love it when I see my logo out there. That's kind of the same reality for me. You know what I mean? Look, let's be very clear. We did the Zither limited edition Know Your Gear stands. We did 100 of them, and we sold out in two weeks, and I never even had to make the video. That's how great you guys are. That's freaking awesome. The Zither people, by the way, were super excited and super stoked. I ended up getting two. I got the prototype one, and I ended up buying one for myself. <laughs> okay? So what's funny about that is is that is exciting to see your brand out there, people be excited about it. So I think there's a lot of it that are – there are a lot of players out there that are just excited to see you play their instruments. And money isn't the equation because I've watched so many of them make poor money decisions. So – so, and then Chris says, dude, Eddie made a buttload of greenbacks. I guess, you know what I mean? Comparatively speaking, I bet you, you could probably Google it and research it. And I bet you, uh, look, Eddie Van Halen. So, you know, if people don't know this, if it's a true little fun fact, Eddie Van Halen did, did the, uh, the solo on the Michael Jackson song, beat it, right? Was it beat it? Yeah. Beat it. And he didn't charge anybody and he got no royalties. He, he waved him. He's like, eh, he just wanted to be on the album. Probably because he had a crap ton of money. That's what happens. Sometimes people, it's not it's like basically everybody seems focused on money. You could be right. I could totally be wrong. I'm not here telling you you're wrong. I'm telling you, I'm giving you a different perspective that I have talking to all these people. It seems like musicians by nature. So, you know, 
most musicians far from greedy they're they're just they're focused if they were greedy they sure as hell wouldn't pick playing guitar for six dollars <laughs> hey i'll pay it a bar for six bucks so i understand later i think you can become rich and i'm sure you can become greedy and i'm sure some people start out that way too but the majority of players I know, it's just a weird, it's weird to me that the vibe is musicians are greedy, yet the most musicians I meet seems money is not even in, in the top 10 considerations they have. So. Sorry about that. I have to keep the palette going. All right, let's go to the next question. That was fun. I like talking about that stuff, by the way, so you guys know I, I like this because this, to me, is the most exciting thing. This is really when I talk to my friends and we're just kind of joshing back and forth. This is the stuff we talk about all the time, like not only who endorses what, but why and what's their logic. Um, you know what I mean? It's interesting to me to see the logic, um, you know. And and like I said, I, I told you I had a very uh, frank conversation with Pete Thorne, and I'm sure he's talking about it on his live show, too, that he likes having a signature Sir amp and guitar. And I've personally told him I, I felt that he could make more money if he went a different way. And he did. He absolutely knew. He, I, he didn't need to hear anything from me. He knew. But he told me. It's, it was his dream. It was his dream to have a signature Sir guitar. All right. Oh, and... And uh, to his credit, I once was busting his chops about the fact that he should demo his Sir Pete Thorne pickups in like a Mexican Strat, like uh, do that in a video and you'll sell way more Sir Pete Thorne Strat uh, pickups and, you know, you get a royalty off that. And he didn't care. Not because he didn't care about anything. He's, you could tell he's like, nah, he's like, the big thing for me was having the pickups. <laughs> the royalty thing is, you know, it's secondary, secondary in his mind. All right. Uh, James says, if I buy a Gibson Custom Shop acoustic, okay, this year, will production have be, will be, uh, will production be, have been, it's past tense now, basically wants to know is, will they rush it? Uh, would it be better to wait a few, few years? My understanding is that their, their backlog on the acoustics are nuts. So, um, I think everybody everybody's going to rush it. They're all going to say they're not. Uh, I have, I can't tell you I, every company. I don't know. You know what I mean? Every company. And I don't have friends that work at every company, but I have, you know, uh, f f pals that work at a bunch of companies in production. And they tell me that they're working their butts off right now to keep stuff going. And they're keeping quality as high as they can, but they're, they're working as hard as they can, but they're, they're moving as fast as they can. And, I don't need them to tell me anything. Like we all seen, everybody here has bought guitars in the last year and a half. You can see that they're seeing more consistent quality issues consistently. And it's because stuff's being rushed. And it's just obvious. It doesn't even have to do with guitar gear. It's like all of a sudden, you know what I mean? You could buy a fan from Costco and it's missing the blades. And you're like, that's kind of weird. <laughs> you're, like, <laughs> you're like, yeah, because I got to get it out. Don't you guys remember the movie Gung Ho in the 80s? Remember the Japanese manufacturer comes to... Uh, comes to the U.S. and they had to make so many cars that they're going to get fired and shut down the plant. So they had cars with no engines in them and stuff just to get on the thing. 
I've heard crazy, crazy stories over the years about uh, what companies have done to fill a container to get it shipped out of Indonesia, Korea, you know, China, you name it. You, you know, you can pick whatever. And um, <laughs> and I told you guys, I've seen crazy stuff. All anybody who's ever worked in any kind of guitar retail has seen crazy stuff out of the box. Like you're like, there's no way. Like I love it when people talk about like, oh, they didn't set this guitar up. Like I said, I've seen where you pull out a guitar out of the box and the bridge has no saddles and the strings are laying on the pickups and the neck. <laughs> You're like, what? obviously they couldn't even strum this thing because they're just laying on there. So it's just crazy. Uh, so, yeah, I would imagine you're going to be a little bit of that now, which is why you have to be savvy, right? Uh, buy from reputable retailers that can support your purchases. Um, like I said, this is a good time to be uh, more savvy than normal when it comes to your money and what you're purchasing and what you're, you know, where you're purchasing it from. Uh, I've had a couple bad experiences. I told you guys on reverb with all with retailers, small stores, cause I'm trying to support small stores, but the small stores have seemed to be pulling the biggest amount of crap on me, uh, and on my friends that I've seen, uh, shit. And here's, what's great. Here's what's great about reverb because of reverb's kind of customer protection programs, I, every one of those retailers have, you know, taken the product back and refunded my money. Um, and I know it's because of reverb because of what they're pulling. I'm like, I know that their whole idea was um, I had a guitar. It's kind of funny. I was thinking about talking about this. I, maybe I should talk about this. I told you guys I bought a new Schecter. A couple weeks ago, somebody asked me, hey, what do you think about Schecters? And I said, oh, I have a Sinister Gates and I bought a new one. The new one showed up. And it was labeled as a, as a B-stock, a second, right? Because it had a blim. And when I got it, it had a crack in the neck. So I took a picture of the cracked neck, and I sent him a picture back. And I said, this has obviously been damaged in shipping. I can't see the crack in the pictures. Uh, and they were very cool in the idea that they go, oh, no problem. We'll send the RA. So they sent me an RA immediately, no questions asked. And... Uh, I was like, all right, because I thought that was weird. I thought it was a little weird because I thought I was going to get an inspection. You know, like, oh, okay, send out FedEx or UPS and inspect the packaging and stuff. They didn't do that, so they just said ship it back. I put the label, ship it back. Now, this is what's funny. This has just happened to me. That's why I was thinking about this. So, obviously, before I purchased this guitar, I had was following the guitar, as you do on Reverb, right? You know, follow it, and you're thinking about it for days. Should I buy it? Should I buy it? So, apparently, because I followed it before I purchased it, when they relisted it, <laughs> it came back into my watch list. I shouldn't say follow, it's a watch list. So a couple nights ago, I go in my watch list to see what's going on, the stuff I'm looking at, and that guitar pops in. And I go, oh, it's that can't be the same guitar. And I look, and sure as hell, not only is it the same guitar, no, 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 I already know. I shipped that guitar back, and it's got a crack. In fact, I can show you the pictures. The crack was like six inches long. So, you know, not only is that guitar back, same price, not described that it's got a crack in it. <laughs> Right. Uh, they just relisted it. And I'm like, it's crazy. Uh, and I know what it is. They're out there. Well, I think I know what it is. I should say that. I think they're out there fishing to see which one of us is dumb enough to take this. Oh, I guess B-Stock means there's a six inch crack in a guitar. Right. Like <laughs> that's not B-Stock. That guitar is defective. So it was really interesting. And I keep seeing this kind of thing where you know, through friends, through, through you guys, where you're seeing retailers pulling, pulling crap. And it's because maybe because they don't have enough inventory and they figure they just put out everything they have. Maybe because people are desperate right now to get anything for some reason, which is why I'm telling you this story is 
not to caution you about that because obviously, like I said, I was protected. The next person, they'll be protected too if they buy it off reverb from that store. And I don't really wish that on anybody to get a guitar and you know crack and have to ship it back, but they'll be protected too. I just hope they're not dumb enough to take it. And right now, that's what I'm telling you guys. You need to to be smart with your money when it comes to guitars. Make sure you're making the right decisions. Uh, and it's not a desperate market. What I've told you guys in the past, and I'll say this again, is I really believe that there's not going to be a lot of inventory towards the last December. Where Inventory is normally low in December, but it's going to be really hard this year. And I'm just talking about guitar stuff. I don't have, I don't have any reason to talk about anything else besides guitars. What I can tell you is a lot of you are taking that advice because I am watching and I'm seeing sales. They have spiked over the last couple of weeks uh, through affiliate links and all the stuff you get to see, right? You see like this ramp up of purchases and bigger dollar purchases. And I think a lot of you, look, if you have the money, I, uh, that's where I basically I'm going with this. If you have the money and there's something you want, I would do it now. If you don't have the money, well, it's a, it's a, it's a moot point. It doesn't matter, right? You got to, got to wait until you wait. But if you can do it, I would do it now because your selection is going to get slimmer. But remember, you can always just wait. <laughs> it's a weird thing about this. It always cracks me up. Just wait. The I talked about this, that Bogner amp that I have behind me. I wanted that amp. It took me over a year to get it. I didn't buy it at a special blowout. I didn't buy it used. I bought it brand new. I just refused to pay the premium for it. And I finally bought it brand new from a dealer. And I got, I don't know, maybe 10% off, I think. I got 10% off, which was fine for me. And in the middle of the, hey, you can't buy anything, I got a discount. <laughs> like I said, it's kind of funny. Uh, yeah, David says, wait till sales slump like crazy. I think they already have slumped. But, but Dave, the problem is, and this is why I'm saying you got to be careful, sales are going to slump. They're going to slow for sure. Um, it doesn't even matter why you think that is. Everybody's going to have theories, and I've heard them all. It doesn't matter why you think there's a slowdown. Here's what we know. We've been in a peak, and that peak is called a peak for a reason. <laughs> Everything hits a point where it can't go any higher. So it's not about I think everything's going to crash. Or maybe I do. I'm not sharing that with you guys. What I am sharing with you guys is that I think – I personally think the peak is over in our industry for guitar sales. So it's only coming down a little bit. The problem is, is that we also have inventory shortages and we also have back order shortage, uh, back order, heavy back orders. So, so yeah, you have to be crazy with that. And they're going to try to push that into an idea. I've already seen retailers over and over, even on YouTube, trying to push this idea like, you better buy. <laughs> and the truth is, yeah, like I said, if you're really worried about getting exactly what you want, this one-in-a-lifetime guitar and this one-in-a-lifetime color, I would probably wait, not wait till later to get it. I'd get it now. But everything else, it'll be, it'll be fine. ST says, I just read an article that says Guitar Center was saved from bankruptcy by COVID. Well, they weren't saved from bankruptcy because they did bankruptcy. <laughs> they filed bankruptcy. They're fi filed, as far as I know. Yeah, it was filed. It was filed and done and, and discharged. So Guitar Center did file bankruptcy and discharge it. So And it was discharged, I say. They don't discharge it. The court discharges it. Um, so... Okay. All right, let's get back to guitar stuff. <laughs> like I said, I like to go all through all kinds of little kind of ups and downs to the to the live show but 
I try to keep more of it on the guitar stuff unless of the, you know, not everything on the industry all the time. Um, hold on a second. Give me a second to, to find out where I was at. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm with, uh, I'm at, with Peter. Let's see. Uh, Peter says, hey, Phil, this is a situation question he's asking me. He says, uh, he says, what piece of expensive gear did you desperately want forever, but when you got it, if you had serious buyer's remorse? Thanks for the hard work. I love, the, love from Vancouver. Look, this is a great question, and I can, I can honestly tell you uh, that it's every expensive piece of gear in my life I've had that experience. I don't think I've ever uh, uh, purchased an expensive piece of gear and literally felt like this is the aha, you know, ah. I don't have that feeling. In fact, I'm a little jealous sometimes when I meet or see people that have this like, you know, oh, I finally bought the $3,000, blah, blah. And there's just no, I'm never going to be happy again. And this is the greatest thing ever or whatever. And I'm always like, I don't have that experience. What my experience is like, I like this Bogner is amazing. And, and of course it's amazing. It's expensive. Uh, I can tell you right now, I don't like that amp more than any other amp in the room at all. And at all in, and, uh, in this room, there's amps that are I just bought it the other day for 320 bucks. I like it just as much as that Bogner. <laughs> no, no exaggeration. No exaggerated claims. I'm not saying it's as good or better. I'm saying I like it just as much. I'm just as happy. And um, I, I'm fine with it. Um, one thing that's nice is uh, I, do, I do tend to buy a lot of crazy stuff over the last couple of years that I used to not buy because of the fact that I have this weekly show and you guys are asking me so many crazy questions and it's nicer to have a resource of it. Um, but I don't think you're ever missing out if you don't buy this high-end piece of gear, any kind of high-end piece of gear. Um, it just, it's not only, you know, what's the law of diminishing returns? It definitely exists to the point where there's just nothing to really, there's nothing really to really uber desire that is a money thing, right? It's just, it's, it's tough. But there's nothing, there's nothing, let me put it this way. There's never been anything since I was poor. And then everything was an impossible, you know, to get item. Ever since I could buy any, you know, gear, there's been no impossible purchase item that I feel like I'm missing out on. So even when I buy an expensive piece of gear, it's not because I'm like, oh, I always, always wanted to land here. I just, I'm just curious. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, most of this high end stuff I regret immediately and continue to regret. And, uh, and one thing that's nice about doing this YouTube channel and these gear uh, reviews is that, um, I get to kind of almost center that logic in the idea that I get to try stuff all the time. And it, it's nice cause it reaffirms like, oh yeah, yeah, I guess I haven't been missing out. I, I can tell you right now, here's the funny thing about this. My very first video on YouTube ever was the, uh, George Benson amp. I'm not saying that's the best amp ever. I'm not even going close to that. What I'm telling you is, is that if I never had another amp after that amp, that amp would be fine to this day. Like, I don't look back and I don't think of that amp as, oh, man, look how far I've come with amps. I think, no, that was a good amp. These are good amps. Nothing's really better. Um, and uh, there's things I like about other amps that are nice. Most of my amp journey, and I'm stick on amps right now. Most of my amp journey in life 
has to do with like this Bogner looking, this is a three channel amp. I was looking for an amp that does the clean, the, the heavy, dirty, the blues. And I still, you know, it's, it's tough. It's almost impossible to find that amp. And I can't say I landed on it. Um, and, uh, so yeah, no, but it doesn't mean I want to keep, I don't want to keep trying stuff. I keep, I do definitely want to try gear, but yeah, expensive gear, all of it, every single piece of expensive gear I ever bought, I've regretted <laughs> some of it to the degree where I got to get rid of it and sell it. So I could not have it like weighing on me at night. <laughs> and most of it is just like, all right, all right, let's not do that too many times again in your life. Um, Studio Rob says, what are you dressing up for as Halloween? Love the show. All the best. I'm not. The big thing for us on Halloween, like I said, we're debating if we're going to hand out candy or whatever, but we're thinking about watching a scary movie. Very chill. I have been, as you can tell, hold on a second. As you can tell, I have been, as uh, why I'm drinking water, my throat's just drying out uh, like crazy, is um, I, I have been... Uh, uh, doing these bonus podcasts and all these bonus videos. My goal is to take the last week of the year off. No, actually, let's be honest. My goal is to take the last two weeks off the year. Of course, I'll do the podcast, but then no other video content. And at the very least, the last week of the year off. To do that, I have to be ahead of schedule on everything because I want to take it off, not just for, you because know, remember, YouTube's not my only job. So, I, I, I mean, I don't want to do anything for, for the last week and if not the last two weeks of the year. That would That's like my dream. And, uh, and to do that, I have to be guilt free. I, that's just my personality, right? Like I'm, I spend most of my day going, I never responded to that viewer's email. I never did this. I still have a patron to get back to. I didn't tell that company yes to that thing. I still have to edit this video. That's like the way, right? Like, oh, this person's neck still off that guitar. Like there's all these things that are just in my head all the time that I think about. And for me to relax, that has to be Literally, like I have to be up to date or done, or at least feel like I put the 100% best in. So, to answer that question, is um, uh, Sunday, I think our plan is to just chill out that afternoon because <laughs> we all kind of need it. I need a, I need a, need a half day off. And I think Sunday's the definitely day to do it. Um, so I'm not dressing for anything. <laughs> it's kind of sad. Um, <clears throat> Uh, Frank C says, uh, does anyone have any thoughts on the boogie mini rectifier? I've owned the mini, mini rectifier. I have the recto verb, uh, which is the same amp just with reverb, basically, basically. And, uh, love it. Great amp. Fantastic. Um, I think the mini rectifier is pro rectifier, rectifier, rectifier is probably a thousand, 1100 now. Cause I think the recto verb is 13. I think they're worth it. I mean, made in the USA, good quality built. Very cool. You know what I mean? Uh, as far as I know, Gibson hasn't done anything weird to them yet. <laughs> Not that I'm saying they're going to, but we're all a little nervous about that. Yeah. I can't highly recommend that. That's, I definitely think my Mark V Mini and my Rectover uh, Rect 25 and those amps, uh, I think they're very good quality and really built really well. Uh, even though they come at a premium price, I think they deliver premium features and quality. Um and at least in my experience. <laughs> Telly Driver. <laughs> this is going to get... I just want to do this because it's fun. He says, what was my favorite Halloween costume as a kid? I think every year I went as an army dude. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, that's probably the same. I'm serious. Like I, I went, uh, I so many years I went as army dude cause I just had camouflage pants, uh, probably that I wore like to school. <laughs> and then I would put on like a army green shirt and then I'd put like some, cause you could get that really cheap army makeup, you know, the green and brown and, and black makeup and put camo on your face. And then I always had like a, who, you know, who, know it, what kid didn't have a play toy M16 kind of thing. And that I would just be, I was definitely one of those kids that I'm into Halloween, by the way, I don't want to make that sound like my family and I, we're into it. It's a thing we're into. We watch Halloween movies like every night till Halloween. It's like, you know, it's our family thing, you know, um, um, but uh, my parents, uh, my parents were, um, well, first of all, my parents were on and on, on and again and off again divorced and together all the time. So half my life I live with my mom, who's a single mom in the single mom world. You know what I mean? Which is she works all the time. I'm a latchkey kid and, uh, we have no money because, <laughs> and, um, and, uh, I'll just tell you, I don't know why I'm just going to tell you this, but it's cause my dad would never pay child support. So basically when my mom get too desperate to, to basically, you know, she couldn't pay electric bill. They would just get back together for a little while because at least he would pay, you know, so he's not, he wasn't a good person. So anyways, um, anyways, either way, you got to think about it. And then my dad, he lived in a, in a, in a world where he made money, where it was a feast and famine world. He was a commission salesman. So if you anybody grew up with commission salesman, um, it was a, you know, you either have steak this Saturday or we're, you know, top ramen, depending on what he made. Uh, and so uh, Halloween costumes and stuff like that, that was always like a really expensive purchase. Like that, non-necessary purchases were just things that didn't happen in my in my life. So I was, uh, and my friends were all basically like me too. So Halloween was always like done on the cheap. <laughs> nothing, could be de- nothing could be cheaper than dressing up in the, Army pants you already have. So I don't think I had very other many. I probably, oh, yeah, you know what? I, I got to take karate for a little while. And uh, so then I was a ninja because <laughs> I had a karate uniform. There you go. It's fun. All right. Uh, yeah, Brian says, my dad was in sales, which made me never want to be in sales. Yeah, it was you know it's it's crazy because uh, people in sales tend to obviously like I said feast or famine income and their attitude is usually uh, glorious or horrific horrific right it's either they're in a great mood or a horrible mood it's a it's a tough world but that being said we're gonna talk about what Matt Wells wants to talk about what does he want to talk about oh no we already talked about uh we talked about Matt's so we got to do. We have to do Maddie Two Hats. Maddie Two Hats says, Phil, I'm upgrading my Flying V copy to a real Gibson Flying V this week. Thank you for capitalizing real. It's <laughs> awesome. Uh, says, even better, I bought it from a mate. Uh, thanks for your advice, you rock. Awesome. I'm glad it worked out great. Uh, if you guys recall, I had a white uh, Flying V, and uh, Ralph now owns it. <laughs> uh, Ralph has decided that he wanted a V. And remember I told you guys a couple of uh, episodes ago, I said, I always buy a Gibson in distress. Like in other words, I always buy a Gibson is a good deal. I shouldn't say distress. I'm trying to think of like, make it sound like it's a, like a, a puppy dog that you're, you know, that you, 
rescue from the pound. So anytime I see a Gibson as a good deal, I always buy it. And that V was one of those good deals I bought. So I bought it as a good deal. And then Ralph was looking at V's expensive USA made Jacksons and of course Gibson's. And then I said, well, I have that white V I bought. He's like, you want to sell it? And they go, no, no, I don't care. <laughs> Cause like, I'm like, you know, it's not being played. Uh, and so he, he paid me what I paid for it. So yes. Which now means another, oh no, I don't need another V. It says, uh, Greg says, hey, Phil, uh, I must have a problem. We all have a problem, dude. You're hanging out on Friday talking guitars with a bunch of guitar nerds. It's not the worst problem, though. Uh, I wake up on Fridays thinking it's KYG day. That's, yeah, see? Uh, er, earlier while practicing, I had to hurry up and catch the show. Is there any guitar rehab out there? Yeah, there is, but you don't need it. This is not the worst thing, you know, Uh Guitar has saved my life many a times. It saved many people's life playing music, uh, you know, checking out guitars at night. Look, there's worse things you can do with your time and money. And some of us have experienced them. I have been very fortunate. I have had very few horrible vices in my life, but I do have vices like anybody else. And guitar is a much better alternative. Much better. Like I said, at the very least, anytime guitar keeps me off watching TV, I feel like it's already a miracle. Litface says, is there a is there a perfect desert island guitar? This question comes up so much. It's like the desert island guitar is the number one question on YouTube. So let's find out where this goes. Is there a perfect desert island guitar that will hold its own both as an electric and acoustic? Gibson ES-125, 225 is close. Maybe a mule caster? Well, I always this always question is really tough because as soon as you say desert island, everybody always thinks like well, there's no electricity, so it's got to be acoustic. But I understand. What's the only guitar that does... Acoustic, electric, both. None. Everyone, everyone, uh, everyone uses some kind of version like the Taylor T5 or the Godney 6 or like I said, the, the, they make the Hollow Body 2 by PRS. I think the Hollow Body 2, actually, hold on. <coughs> Excuse me. I think the Hollow Body 2, uh, the import one, the $1,500 one, I think that's the best acoustic to electric I've ever heard to this day. I really believe that. Uh, and I'm not, and I still wouldn't say it's fantastic. I'm just saying it's the best. Uh, I think if you want a guitar that does acoustic and electric, you need to be okay with being unhappy a little bit in some way. <laughs> uh, so that's something to think about. Um, okay, hold on. Okay, so this question is, a seven-year-old Fender uh, Tele Cabernita developed a new hump at the neck, um, and he's saying at the body after the 14th fret. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm assuming you mean towards 14th fret towards the 12th fret. Okay, that would make sense. Straight edge still hits the last several frets. Best fix strategy? Hmm. I, I, uh, for that, I've told you before, I've, I've talked about this on the show. Um, what I will do is I will plan, uh, I will crown and level all the frets and, um, essentially you will level your frets probably from where the start of that is, let's say the 12th fret to the 22nd fret or the 21st fret, depending on what that model has a little bit more aggressively, but yeah, you're just going to level the frets, the fretboards, 
Well, first of all, always make sure it's a hump in the neck and not a lifted frat or anything like that. I mean, there's all kinds of scenarios. So, and again, when I give advice, a lot of times I'm giving it based on what you're telling me. So if you're telling me a hump in the neck, I'm assuming you've, you've definitely confirmed it's a hump in the neck, uh, <coughs> which is not a common thing to happen in electrics as so much as acoustics. 12 fret hump in the acoustics is more common. I've seen that all the time. Uh, but in electrics, it does happen. There is a couple fixes. First of all, there's shimming. Sometimes you can just shim stuff. You may not even have to do fret work. Um, and I'm just going to give you all the options. So sometimes you can shim. Remember, you can shim more than just putting the shim at the base of the neck and tilting it this way. You can shim the neck by putting a, a, a shim towards the front. It's not, not common, but, I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do. I mean, that's the whole point of a Fender guitar is that the neck isn't attached to the body permanently, and you can do all kinds of stuff with it. Sometimes that fixes things. Again, with me not looking at it, that's one of the tricks. The other time is, of course, crown and level the frets, and that's usually going to fix the problem because it won't matter if, if, the, if the neck's got a little hump in it and it's a little high and the frets are higher when you play them down. Sure, they'll be thinner than the other frets, but they'll be level with all the frets, and that's essentially all the string's going to care about is the frets are level. And in most cases, because we're talking about such minute amounts uh, of, of measurement, that you can't even feel that. You know what I mean? You would never feel it. Again, you may be able to see it optically if you look at it right, but you wouldn't be able to feel it. So there's your options. There's probably, I'm trying to think of there's a couple others. The, well, the, the other only options I can think of are the ones where it's there's not a hump in the neck because that's really common for people to say there is and then something comes up and there's not. You know what I mean? You look at it more, you make some more adjustments in the neck um, with the truss rod. But assuming you're correct, I'm going to say definitely either have to crown a level of the frets or you can use some kind of shimming to see if you can sort it that way. The next one's from Michael, who says, Hey, Phil, I have an Epiphone Explorer Alnico Classic. Alnico. Why did I say Alnico? Alnico. Alnico Classic Pros are tinny and bright. Okay. I want pickups that are more rock-sounding, Iron Main style. Suggestions? Uh, novice pickup uh, knowledge. Um, sure. It's funny. When I think Iron Main, I think of single coils. <laughs> but but I understand what you're saying. Um so you have the Explorer with the Alnico Classic Pros. Um, my guess is, let me look that up. I want to look up that because I'm doing off memory, and I'm pretty sure I'm right. Epiphone Alnico Classic Pro. And since we have the internet, I don't have to guess. We have, here you go. I just need to confirm something that I already think is I need to confirm what I think is basically what I'm trying to say to you. Huh. Great. I found the one thing to click on that gives you no information. Does nobody tell you anything? How lame is this? Huh. What I'm trying to find out is... Hold on. Let's see if I try this. Please be patient. <laughs> I need hold music. That would make the show a lot cooler. Yeah, it's tough because it's an Epiphone pickup. And the, what I want to know is what magnets in them first. And I want to know what they're reading. Um, and that is a little hard to come by, especially on a live show. Um, and of course everybody who's putting anything out there isn't really saying what they are 
so I don't know. I'm guessing, and this is just a generic guess, but it's it's based on two things: what what I thought I saw once, and also what you're saying. They might be in an Elnico two magnet, uh, and the way they're made, that's probably what's causing them to be bright. And of course, everybody hears things differently, like I always say, because that's one thing about pickups. Everybody's like, "It's really bright," and the next person goes, "I like those pickups, but they're too dark." So, it's it's possible. Um, I would definitely uh, go with an Elnico five magnet. And, and that guitar would go with something a little bit more punchy. So maybe, like I said, the, the Seymour Duncan JB Jazz set, the 59s uh, by Seymour Duncan, the PAF Pros, PAF Pros by uh, DiMaggio, uh, and, and, of course, anything that's like that is what I would go for. Uh, think about that. Go back more towards that style. That would be my suggestion. Get something that just kicks a little bit more. Not because you mentioned Iron Maiden. Um, that is something that would make me suggest something that punches a little bit more, has a little more kick to it. But also, like I said, you need something that's a little warmer and the jazz in the neck's a little warmer and the JV is going to be a little warmer sounding, even though they're really mid sounding, they're not going to be tinny and bright because very rarely are those pickups described as tinny as bright. And they're pretty, and that's a set you can get used somewhere. I would definitely suggest that at least you normally can get them used. So something like that. And then if anyone has suggestions in the comments too, that's always nice to see. But uh, I always, I always kind of would say that's a good, good affordable set. It's really good. And then of course, there's all kinds of off brands now that making affordable pickups, and you know, what I mean, anything that's like that in what their descriptions, I'd say that too. Uh, Chad's question is uh, thoughts on how much time and money you should be willing to pour into resurrecting a beat up but cool vintage axe. I got a Gibson Spotlight needing needs love. Um, well, you know, that's good. It's easy to give you advice on that. In fact, it's as the money is up to you. You know when you're not comfortable with it anymore. No one uh, has to tell you that. Um, you know, the the saying is "Don't put good money after bad" is a perfect saying, and that's exactly what kind of this means. Is if you're if you're dumping money into it and it start to make you nervous or making you feel weird, stop. <laughs> Definitely stop. Um, and, and you will go, and that happens because everybody gets to this point where they're like, okay, well, I got to finish it. And, um, no, you know what I mean? Do the math. And here's the deal. It's got to be a passion of love and you have to, uh, you have to want to do, you have to want this guitar and the price doesn't matter. And, and, and if that's not the case, then I wouldn't put anything in it. And that's usually what I tell myself. Is like, how much am I willing to spend? And if the answer is really, you know, it's not what do I have? I know what I have to spend. The question is, what was I willing to spend? You know, what were, you know, right? And I'm like, oh, I'd spend $1,000. And if I say that, then I'll keep going, even if that's where I land at the end of this, even, you know, because like I said, I don't look at money as so much as a time thing. I'll eventually always have, you know, either the time will work itself out and I'll have the money or it'll work itself out because I can sweat equity it out and find resource it correctly. Uh, Peter says, Hey, Phil, I love the EC 1000 videos. Oh, thanks. Um, that's the, uh, the LTD EC 1000. I did a video and then I did a sharp my axe on says opinions on the 600 ish Euro LTDs, uh, strat shape M 2000 series. Love what you do. Greetings from Finland. Hey, greetings, Finland. Yeah. Look, I'm a big LTD fan. Cause I like Schecter's. Like I told you guys and Schecter and LTD, they're kind of the same guitars. Um, I personally think Schecter, to me, seems to have a better consistency and quality. In other words, I, I see less issues with Schecter's. 
uh, dollar for dollar, right? But that's not by no means an insult to LTD, right? There's nothing wrong with praising a company for doing a good job. Uh, LTD does a great job, and Schechter does, in my opinion, a little bit better of a job, <laughs> and that's it. But LTD, I think, offers some more options on their guitars, which is nice. And um, I have I have found the there's a price point in LTD, and it's just like Epiphone. When it gets really towards the bottom, then you're starting to see some, you know, this student level, you know, guitars where it's not made for someone who's been playing for a little while or someone who's a little experienced and can recognize where the guitars have limitations and what their fit and finish and quality is. So LTDs are always an easy one for me to, to, to kind of suggest. Uh, Matt says, hey, they're made in the same factory. Well, of course, well, most guitars are made in the same factory. But as I've always pointed out, that's not the world that everyone lives in. That's not because something's made in the same factory is only one part of the equation. Matt, great point, by the way. I'm just going to give you the other point of that. I always say, look, it's not just because uh, Chapman's were made in the same factory. Like there's all kinds of guitars that are made in the same factories as, as other guitars. Um, however, what if, what happens in the new world where a third party or an OEM manufacturer makes a guitar and then ships it to the seller, right? Which is not the not the retailer. We're talking about the the manufacturer because the manufacturers so really we use manufacturer as a strange term now. LTD, there is no LTD, right? They're made somewhere else and they're shipped to LTDSP and then they ship them to dealers. So they're not really manufacturing them; they're wholesaling them. They're the wholesaler. The wholesaler's job is to do the secondary run of QA, uh, quality assurance, and make sure they're right. And that's why I said I think that's where Schechter really kind of shines. They learn, they have a really good ability to go through the guitars and pick out the problems. Like I said, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that every guitar company, I don't care how prestigious, makes a bad guitar. Sir makes a bad guitar. It has to exist. They just have to. Uh, now, the question is, does Sir let us see that bad guitar? That's my real, that's been my question since forever I, I've been in this business. Uh, it's not about if you not, if you make a company makes a bad guitar. It's if the customer sees that bad guitar and if they're doing their job, they don't, right? Um, and and that's the whole point. And I feel, that's why, so when I say, and so you, like I said, to Matt's great qu comment that they're made in the same factory, that is a great comment. But I also, like I said, what I'm saying is, is that I think Schechter does a slightly better job at making sure that we see less of the defective or defective-ish product. So, and that's why I give them praise for that. And, um, you know, and like I said, a lot of companies are good at it, but some are better at it. <laughs> Dave6RTT6 says, Gibson doesn't mind if we see bad guitars. Absolutely. But I still like Gibsons. I don't know what it is, man. They Whatever their stupid... I know what their marketing was. They let every freaking great rock star ever play them. Talk about the perfect marketing. It's the greatest marketing you ever do. You got everybody who I've ever enjoyed uh, watching live or an album that's has a Gibson. <laughs> so now I'm like, oh, we all need a Gibson. Uh, beautiful marketing. It's great. Um... Okay, so the real question is, <laughs> what's the real question? The real question is, uh, why do they love them? Surf the Japstrat says, Philip, I have you ever played a Fender Pro Sonic amplifier? I have played the Pro Sonic. 
so the ProSonic is an amplifier that was uh, designed by Bruce Zinke. Uh, and Bruce Zinke, of course, had Zinke amps. And then he acquired Supro and then sold Supro to who Supro owns now. Uh, and then Supro sold Supro. <laughs> like, Supro's been sold off a couple times. Um, but, yeah, Bruce Zinke, who I think lived up in Flagstaff, Arizona, he designed the ProSonic. So for you guys that don't know, ProSonic's like the precursor to the supersonic. Now, not being an amp builder, repair guy, designer, if that information is totally incorrect, in other words, that the amps don't have any lineage to the to their anatomy, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the ProSonic, and then that literally the marketing goes towards they start making the supersonic. Um, playing the ProSonic and the supersonic, what I thought was the ProSonic, I thought, uh, had a better distortion channel, but definitely more of that Saldano higher gain distortion. It was definitely... A, uh, something new. I think the ProSonic was my first Fender amp I ever plugged into and went, whoa, I didn't know Fender could make this. And it was definitely this higher gain, really good sounding amplifier. A lot of killer features inside of it. Uh, really, really was a fantastic amp. It's one of those amps uh, that until this pandemic didn't really have any resale value for crap. But of course, everything now, when it boomed, everything boomed, everything boomed. So people bought everything. Um, and then you saw them inch up. But I mean, forever, you could buy them pretty, pretty, pretty low on the cheap. Um, the only thing I didn't like about the ProSonic is I always wanted the head instead of the combo and the head didn't come with reverb. Uh, the original 60s, 60, 60s, the original 60 watt supersonics, the heads didn't have reverb. Uh, so it wasn't until they did the 22-watt supersonic they did reverb in the head, all in the combos. So I, like we talked earlier on the show, why I prefer heads over combos is just for convenience. Um, I was like, oh, I want the ProSonic for the head, and but I kind of wanted the reverb too. So, um, But yeah, great amplifier. So if you guys ever see one in a store, trust me. It's, Fender is, what's great about Fender amps and you will do yourself uh, a, a wonderful favor if you do this. If you're ever in a music store and you see those, uh, Fender's made so many weird ass looking generic, you know, Fender type generic, meaning like it looks like the normal Fender you see, but there's just you know, nothing spectacular about it throughout the years. And some of them are solid state and some of them are junk and some of them are great. When you see weird Fender amps you've never seen before, plug into them and play them. If I was going to guess, just to be fair, seven, maybe six. I'll be nice. Six out of 10 times, but I'll say probably seven. Seven out of 10 times is not going to be a great experience. It's going to be something you're like, ah, oh, I didn't miss out. But every once in a while, you get to plug into it like a ProSonic. And that's an amp that you'll, when you, if you, any, most players, if you plug into ProSonic, you're going to go, why'd they stop making this? This was great. Have you ever owned a Heritage? I have an H150 Les Paul style that I got for about $1,700 two years ago. And it looks and feels boutique. Really like their uh, value versus Gibson. I have not owned a Heritage uh, guitar. Like I said, I reviewed one once on the channel, and uh, and then that one had to go back. Uh, they sent that back. And uh, right after that, I think I talked about this on guitars that I regret getting rid of or not, you know, the ones that got away kind of story. Um, that was the Heritage. What happened with Heritage was... Uh, I never tried one until that day. When I tried it, I was like, oh, I love this. And definitely I'd committed in my mind. I'm, I'm being, you know, very obviously upfront about this. I was like, I was going to get rid of all my Gibsons and go Heritage because I was like, oh, you know, who wants to support the big corporation? I can support Heritage. And then ironically, right after I um, reviewed the Heritage, 
um, Heritage, the company, you know, they had a walkout. You know, they fired a bunch of their employees and the other employees walked out. And uh, the issue was the fight was over the fact that they were getting rid of all the heritage of that company and going to CNC machines and stuff. Um, I read a little article that talked about the whole thing after it all happened. I had a couple of the employees reach out to me to tell me what happened, um, you know, to say, hey, look, you know, we like your channel, but you should know what's going on with these guys. It's not very good. And um, and then it was kind of like this. Uh, it, it worked out easily for me. They never reached out to me. And so I had no I had no reason to reach out to them because I hadn't heard what happened. So I don't know. And like I said, I want to be, I tell you guys that story mostly because I know there's so many guitar players uh, that hang out here on Friday. If you guys know stuff, please uh, send it to me or send, you know, let me know about it. I'd be curious to know, like I said, my understanding is heritage uh, does not use the same process and uh, same machines, handwork and all that stuff they did on their, that they've always done. Uh, like that was the whole point, right? The fact was the old Gibson factory done the old way by the old employees. And now my understanding is the old employees are gone and it's all CNC now. So buying a new heritage, I'm essentially just buying a, a Gibson. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not. And if that, and that's the point point. and look, let's be very clear. Uh, and I've said this about GNL. I'm a huge GNL fan, but I, again, up front GNL heritage, I like GNL. I like GNL more than Fender. I like Heritage more than Gibson. As and the idea that I like a smaller company more than a bigger company, it's just something I relate to more. I want to support them. However, I understand that part of that support that I give them is I have to pay almost the same price, and the resale value is for crap. So it really bugs you when they start making decisions like the bigger companies. So, like I said, I'd love to know about Heritage. Uh, if anyone knows if they actually did that, I just know that all that I know for what I know for a fact was they did fire a bunch of like six employees and then the rest like walked out and, um, and it sucks. Cause those were the people I was talking to when I was doing the video. Cause they were, they were telling me how excited they were that the new company bought them and saved the company and they have their jobs and they just want to make guitars. And then it all fell to crap. It was really, really bummer. In fact, I actually put it up there with the same as Gibson running over all those guitars. It was like, just like a, well, I guess that's how that ends. So like I said, I'd love to hear different. Um, if that's true, let me know guys. Somebody knows. Some of you guys probably go there. I'm, I'm too far away. They're on the other side of the country. I can't go and just visit the factory. So I'd love to go visit their factory and check it out. Seth says, I'm a Strat guy. It's good. <laughs> it says two USA fenders. One Schechter, one made in Mexico, and I really want a Les Paul, but every one I play feels underwhelming for my money. Thoughts? Epiphone. Look, you don't have to buy Epiphone. <laughs> you just buy one of those. Uh, Sire makes a fantastic guitar. Um, I say, look, I like Epiphone. You can buy that. But, I mean, there's tons of Epiphone-like. You don't need an actual Gibson uh, to to, for your single cut, you can buy, uh, especially like I said, you have two USA Fenders. You have some nice guitars, the Made in Mexico Strat. Uh, you have the Schecter. You find a deal. When you're trying to experiment with this, it's really tough because your brain is like, hey, I want to find the ultimate single cut guitar once I do that. Look, I'm sure all your Strats weren't just so easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, you know, over time, you're playing guitars, you find the ones that fit right. Um, so it's tough. Also, thoughts to think of PRS. Look, you don't have to have a Gibson. Like we just talked about with Heritage. You don't have to have a Gibson to get the guitar you want. You can get a Heritage. You can get, um, 
you know, you can get a PRS, you can get a Aria Pro, you can get a Harley Benton, uh, you can get, I'm looking around my room, you can get, uh, like I said, what I say? Sire, Sire's fantastic. Um, there's a ton of guitars you can get and make it a game, you know, cause I understand some, sometimes, sometimes people are like, I don't know. I'm not looking for the cheap guitars. I'm looking for something a little more expensive, a little nicer, but you can make a game out of trying to find a really cool and interesting, less expensive guitar. That's part of the factor of this. And not to mention, like I said, not all guitars, like that's a studio Les Paul behind me. It's fantastic. You know what I mean? It, it it's not going to be, uh, like I said, price doesn't dictate anything. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, it makes it to where it's harder for you to buy it, but but it doesn't dictate that one guitar is going to be better than the others. It's just not true. I, I, I can't, at this point, reviewing as many guitars as I have, going through them, uh, what I can tell you is is that I've, I've experienced some bad guitars, I've experienced some great guitars, and none of that was as easy as me to say as like what everybody wants me to say, by the way. Everyone wants me to tell them, Phil, at what price point are guitars great? I wish I could tell you that. I could tell you where I think the some of the normal mistakes start kind of moving away. You start seeing this stuff. I think once you hit $1,000, I think guitars, you stop seeing less and less problem-type guitars. But that's still, even saying that out loud, I hate saying that because that's not really like anything kind of, you know, a firm. That's not a firm fact. Just generally, 1000 isk guitars, $800 to $1,200 you tend to see a lot more RC you tend to see a lot less problematic issues with guitars uh, uh, because of the fact that, you know, at that price point, they can sort through the QA a little harder, but that's still not a guarantee. Um, Matt's Matt says, uh, would you say that the models on the HX stomp? Okay. Can give you a good feel for sounds of a boutique amp, like a Dr. Z or matchless. Well, how I how I ended up liking the Helix stuff was ironically because of Dr. Z. Um, and it happened backwards. So, you know, uh, I think they call it, uh, and I'm doing off memory, I can't remember because I changed the name of it on my preset. Um, it's Highway Doctor, right? I think it's what it's called. There's an amp, whatever it is, there's an amp in there called Highway Doctor or something like that because you know, obviously for trademark purposes, they can't say dr z and i fell in love with that sound on that and that's the one i fell i didn't like anything on the on the uh hx stuff uh helix and all that stuff i was just not finding any of it interesting and then i found that tone and i started playing with it and uh i started making it into different profiles and then all of a sudden i was like okay i really like this and what happened was i ended up buying a dr z uh because you know gear math hey if the, the synthetic version's good the real one would be better yeah, the Dr. Z is probably a little better, obviously, right? Uh, but it was very good, and I would I still use it. So to, can you give you the same feel and sounds? No, I don't really. I don't think. I don't think that's important though. Um, and this is just my my travels, my journey. When it comes to these processor type products, like I said, whether it's a, a modeling uh, processor like AxeFX or our, our Kemper profiling stuff or uh, Amplitude or uh, Guitar Rig. All this stuff is fantastic. I mean, it's literally fantastic. I use a lot of it. I love it. <laughs> but it's because it does so many cool things that I love, like make it easy to record, 
uh, sound good, right? It's really hard to get that stuff to sound bad in recordings. You know, um, it's really also hard sometimes to get it to sound great in recording, right? To be honest with you, that's one of the things it does. It makes everything sound good, but it makes very few things sound great. It, but it can be done. But however, when it comes down to just plugging in an amp, oh man, it's just that, you know, there's just something happening with, but not just the tube. Everybody's like, oh, it's the tubes. They're just responding. And sometimes it's just the speakers too. The speakers, air, movement, the room, everything's happening. It's just, it's a magical experience. However, again, I don't need the uh, the Helix to give me that experience, okay? Um, that experience is for me. It's not for the listener. It's not for the audience. It's for me and hopefully inspires me or makes me, it puts me in a good mood. But like I said, sometimes when I'm just plugging in and want to just play and record, it's just nice to do exactly what I just said, plug and play record. Um, the Bogner, and just because it's in, you know, it's in frame of, of camera today, the Bogner is a perfect example of this. I could plug in this Bogner right now. And, and if you asked me, if I plugged into it and I strummed a chord and you go, what do you think? I go, oh, it's bliss. And then if you told me to record it and I get the mic out and we start marking the cabinet, that's two hours of hell. <laughs> EQing. Why is it till bassy? Uh, I have I have this problem. Uh, I was just laughing about this. I have this problem with uh, two of my amps. Uh, I have a, a Friedman uh, twin sister, and I, which is the Dirty Shirley. And then I have a, t- a Friedman small box. And here's what's interesting about them. Um, it's just my opinion. Again, it's just my opinion. Uh, so not to offend those that have those amps. Uh I don't enjoy playing the small box in any frame of my, any way whatsoever. When I plug into it, like plug in a cabinet, plug into it, strum a chord, play on it. It's, it doesn't, it sounds great. I just don't, it doesn't sustain the way I like amps to do. It just doesn't do anything that I like amps to do. It doesn't have a lot of low end (laughs) to it. Um, There's just nothing about it that's like, ooh, right? Now, the twin sister, the Dirty Shirley, I plug in that, and it's immediately everything I want in the amp, and it's perfect. But I will tell you this, and this is honest to God truth, recording-wise, the small box records so easy and effortless. It's like I plug in it, it's just like I plug it into it, I put a mic in front of the cabinet, and it's like everything that comes out of it is like, yeah, that's that's perfect. And then the, the twin sister, Dirty Shirley, that's the one you spend forever trying to dial out some low in or flubbiness or some, you know, some, some muddiness that I don't like. So the reality is I tell you that story just to remind everybody that sometimes, like I said, gears tools, and sometimes they do great things. You know what I mean? Uh, um, you know what I mean? They do a great thing. So that's what the Helix can do is, and the HX stomp and stuff and the Axe effects stuff. Sometimes they can just give you this, this great sound effortlessly where, but the reason I say all that is because you said in your comment, sounds of a boutique amp like the Dr. C, but you said feel and sound. I have not felt, I have not played anything and I've played all of it at this point uh, for the most part. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, that's, I, I dare say synthetic, that feels like a tube amp. That doesn't mean I don't like it. It just doesn't feel like it. That's, I don't, I, I always understand it's only the people that get upset about it. The people that have, that like are swear, like my, I don't know who, who I pick Kemper. My Kemper is just like a two amp. <laughs> and I always go, eh, then why do you say it's just like a two amp? <laughs> why are you trying to imply it's as good as something? If it, it should be just good on its own merit, which it is, it's good on its own merit. It just, there's things about two amps that are cool. So are different, I should say that are cool and different. I hope that makes sense. I feel like I was just rambling through that one, but 
Um, okay, so I watch stuff. <laughs> uh, he's got a philosophical question for me. Um, at what point should a guitar be thrown away? <laughs> Why is that a philosophical? Why is that philosophical? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, when it's absolutely no good, <laughs> when it can't be fixed. Uh, I don't know. I don't think you, I, you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that you already know what I'm going to say. I don't think you should ever throw a guitar away. I think there's always somebody looking for a guitar. I think guitars, like I said, can be turned into art. I've, you know, you're like a guitar. If you tell me there's a guitar with a twisted neck and the neck can't be fixed. Cool. Uh, and it's got, you know, the, and you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever's wrong with it. Right. The, the electronics don't work. This is wrong with it. You can't find a part for it. Perfect example. We we're talking about Ivan Israel. Got a guitar. You can't find that part for it. You can always do something with it. I'm not saying you should, you know, stick some stuff on it, spray paint and throw it on your wall, but you could give it to somebody who can turn it into art. I would imagine somebody wants it. Look, and here's why I should remind you this. Uh, anyone, again, who's worked in any kind of guitar retail for many years will tell you this. People come in your store, uh, stores all the time looking for exactly like that. Do you have any guitars you just want to throw away? We want to turn them into art. So I don't think there's any point a guitar should be thrown away. So there's just no reason for it. It's not like a, it's not like a lot of things that you can throw away and dispose of. There's always a, some kind of use for it. And art is only my basic boring answer. I'm sure there's lots of cooler answers that people can think of in the audience. Uh, Meester says, musician's friend are better than I am as guitarist. Wait, musician friends. Not musician's friend. Not, he's not talking about a guitarist and a musician friend. He's saying his musician friends. Friends that are indeed musicians are better than I am as a guitarist, but non-singers barely sing. As a decent singer, I'm going to study voice again and play rhythm. Sure, play to your you will you play to your strengths, man. That's the, that's the thing. That's there's a couple things that I think if you if you are a musician, which everybody here is a musician, if you own an instrument, remember all you got to do to be a guitar player is own a guitar, uh, <laughs> to some degree. Um, However, here's what I'm saying. The terms, there's two terms that I love that musicians use, and they're fantastic. Uh, know your audience, which is also something actors would say, but I'm going to say guitar players and musicians, again, use that love. I love that saying. Know your audience is like the whole world should adopt that and live it like it's, live it. What's, what's that movie? Live it. Learn it. Learn it. Live it. Love it. Whatever. Um of course, uh, that's important, right? Know your audience. Uh, so many people who say things to, the, <laughs> and it's wrong, and you're like, know your audience, man. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> this is not the place to have that discussion. And uh, so know your audience is one of them. The other one is play to your strengths. That's definitely another thing that artistic people, uh, whether they're, again, actors, musicians, uh, what you do, play to your strengths. I, 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 I did a podcast once with Tyler Larson for Music Would Win, and uh, it was on his channel, still is on his channel. And uh, we discussed that. And I never really came up again after that. And, and I always like, I always think of that discussion with him because um, I've had some interesting discussions with him over the years, just briefly when we had them. And one of them is play your strengths. Look, if you're, if you're a, if you love music, this is my story I told on his podcast. I love music. So let's just stick with me. I love music. So I just want to be around music all day. Okay. That's it. Um, you know, um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, part of my life, it's been driven by this idea that if I could just listen to music, 
You know, some people dream about jobs. Like, I wish I had a corner office. Uh, I wish I had, you know, I don't know, a giant company. I wish, you know, I sailed the seven seas. I don't know what people wish for. Um, all I cared is I could listen to music all day. I don't care what I did. I just wanted to listen to music. And I, I knew that about myself, but I didn't follow that. You know what I mean? For a while in my life. And I worked in a very corporate environment and I was very good at it. And I, and I did well. And it's a lot of the things that are my, are good in my life and my family's life is because I worked a long time in the corporate world in management and stuff. Um, however, uh, we, you know, we couldn't listen to music. It wasn't that environment. And, uh, I just want to be next to music is what I always say. I just want to be with music all the time. So to me, I go, how do I do that? Well, me, I was like, I can repair guitars. <laughs> like I can, I can build them, right? Like I, I didn't have a passion for building or fixing guitars. I had a passion to be with music. And I wasn't a fantastic guitar player, so I couldn't, you know, I didn't make it in there as a fantastic guitar player. I can't sing, so I can't be a singer. So it's like you, you take what your strengths are and you go, how can I turn this into music? whatever this is. And what I think the, the failure that's happened to many generations before us and hopefully will slowly stop, and that's what YouTube does now, is you have tons of mentorship on YouTube, tons of videos for people to learn now, all kinds of things besides just how to play songs, because that's what was taught to me. When I was a kid and I go, I want to play music, I didn't really want to play music. I just wanted to be around music. And then somebody's like, learn guitar. And that was just the answer. Oh, if you want to be around music, you better be a musician. But no, you can be an attorney for a musician. You can literally fix guitars. You can build guitars or instruments, I should say. You can become a YouTube channel, apparently, and talk about guitars. I mean, there's all kinds of things, right? Um, you can become a radio DJ. You know, let's say you got a good voice. Become a radio DJ. Um, you can become a tambourine player. <laughs> You can carry the gear for the band, for Christ's sakes. I mean, that's a job. Somebody has to haul that stuff. And all these jobs sometimes are a little less glamour glamorous than others. But if you can make a living being around music, if that's what matters to you, and that's what matters to me, okay? I want to be around music. And whatever that is, I'll, I'll do that. If, and, and really, I'll be honest with you. I, I've said this before, and I always really, like I said, I'll say it over. I guess I'll keep saying it. Um, I just found I had an aptitude for building and fixing guitars. And then I was like, well, I guess this is what I'm good at. But I had no desire to do that. Like, I, it's like, like it wasn't like, I oh, just one day, I just want to learn how to fix guitars. I just started doing it out of a necessity thing. And then somebody was like, I'll pay you to do that. And I'm like, oh, is that how I become next to music? Because then I'll do that. And then I go, well, how do I do this more? And then I open a music store. Not because I have a desire to sell stuff or retail or be rich business mogul, mogul guy. I, it's none of those things occur to me and I could care less. It was, I just want to be around music. And then when I started making YouTube videos, same thing as people were like, Oh, you can do YouTube videos. And I was like, Oh, is that a thing? Okay. I'll do that every day in my life, whether I realize it or not, it's that's the focus is how do I be around these things that I love and the people that love these things being musical instruments and music. And how do I, how do I engage with them more and more? And then how do I turn that into income? And I do that to the detriment of what I talked about earlier when I was talking about artist models. I constantly am taking decisions that I'm happy with, by the way, that are less financially beneficial to me because my main goal every day is how do I be, be with music, right? Almost like music is a beautiful woman that I can't live without. Kind of like my wife, same logic. I'm like, how do I, how do I make this 
thing love me back and make give me an income. And so the reason I go into that speechy thing is let's get back to the the uh, the uh, your your question is that's what I say about play to your strengths. So basically, um, what I'm trying to say is, <laughs> Meester, is that if you can sing, then you sing. But play guitar too if you want to. But if you can't play guitar, play drums. You know what I mean? If you can't play drums, tune drums for a drummer. Like I said, I, I, don't, I don't find shame in that. There is no por- person on this planet Earth that's ever going to point at me and ever make me feel like, ha ha, all you did is be on YouTube. I'm like, you know what? It's on a Friday afternoon talking about guitars, man. That's all right. That's it. I'm with music. Uh, I love that. And, uh, and I can tell you like that. That's how come people build pedals. That's how come people build guitars. Again, if it matters to you, you'll make the decision. So I think, by the way, Meester, great decision. If you have a strength that's vocals and you can lean into that, lean into that. There's no shame in that. There's only success in that as long as at the end of the day you're happy because that is a hard thing to pull off. Being in this industry, that's why I will do... You know, like I said, I'll, I'll take out Metallica's trash. That's what gets me next to music because, you know, there's no shame in that. Uh, Meester says, I never had much gear as a vocalist. Wonder if my guitar gear gas will uh, lessen. I know. Uh, no, that has nothing. One has nothing to do with the other. Let's not let's not ever confuse guitar players with gear addicts. I, and I'll, uh, well, we're not going to wrap up the show. I'm going to go at least 10, 20 more, more minutes. Uh, I did my podcast today with Mark Tremonti from Tremonti, Alterbridge, and Creed. And uh, 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 it will probably go out in the next few days. Soonest would be Sunday. Uh, latest will probably be Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. Um, and uh, I will tell you, uh, honest to God, uh, gear nerd. <laughs> Uh, you know, this is a guy, I don't care what you think of him. He's, he's sold double diamond records. You know what I mean? He's, he's been as successful as a person can pretty much become in the music industry. And he's a good, he's a, he immediately in the conversation with me, as soon as I'm not saying I could, I, I could tell what he's thinking, but I mean, I, it, I felt like as soon as he figured out that this is a guitar nerd environment, he went guitar nerd. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I've seen a ton of interviews with him and he talks about music and music theory. And, and, and as you guys know, he teaches, uh, you know, he has uh, behind the, the uh, stage lessons and he teaches all the time. He has clinics. We didn't talk any music theory. He went right to guitar. He saw his own, right? You know, know your audience, right? He knew his audience. He's like, here's the guy that's got a Bogner behind him and a couple of guitars. And he's, he's like, we're talking amps, we're talking guitars. And we did, we went into that. And, um, so, uh, Meester, what I'm trying to tell you is, is that, uh, no, if you have this thing that drives you to look at guitar ads in magazines or look at reverb at 12 o'clock at night before you go to bed, that has nothing to do with being a guitar player, man. <laughs> I have, I have, I have friends that are guitar players. They literally look at no guitars ever. <laughs> they just play music and God bless them for that too. Everybody's got a, like I said, everybody's got their thing. Um, but and that's why I tell everybody, it's okay to do both. It's okay to play music and still have an, an obsession over, what's the new color Fender came out with? <laughs> I would, like if somebody was, like if aliens came to this planet and said, tell us what a guitar player was. At no point in the discussion of me explaining what I think a guitar player was, that I go, oh, and they obsessively need to know what colors Gibson's putting out in January. <laughs> so that's, they're, they're one and the same, but different. 
Uh, one metal head dude. Nice. I like it. Uh, says, hey, Phil, what's your favorite pedal board brand? Sure. I use two pedal board brands. I use uh, Holy Boards and I use Temple Boards. And the reason is, is because I don't do Velcro. And uh, early on in my YouTube world, I made a video called How to How, how to how to live with a, what was the video called? <laughs> I got to look it up. It was like how to live with a dog free pedal board. This was the video I made, had nothing to do with YouTube. I made this video because my wife got a second dog. <laughs> my wife, my wife treats dogs like I treat guitars. They just show up at the house and it's like, oh, is, is that an, is that another dog? She's like, is that another guitar? I'm like, it's fine. Anyways, uh, and so what happened was I don't like the how the dog fur get, gets into the Velcro and stuff. So I, I look for a solution. That's how I found Holy Board. So I've been using Holy Board for years. Um, Chris, the owner of Holy Board, is a really cool dude. Made in the USA. Built really well. Small operation. Again, you know, if you can support those kind of businesses, I'm always for it. As you guys know, I, I don't really shun any business, but I promote the businesses that I, I can uh, connect with the strongest. Um, Temple Boards, I believe, is a Canadian brand, and they make their boards in Canada, as far as I know. It says made in Canada when you get them. So that's another cool thing. Um, and again, a slightly bigger operation, but still a small business. And uh, again, um, no, uh, you can use zip ties for both. Now, Temple Boards use those little uh, plates. Um, I did not become a fan of those plates real fast. I stuck them on pedals and I thought, this is the greatest thing ever until one day you go, I don't want this pedal anymore. And then you got to tear this thing off and then figure out how to put re-adhesive on the back of this thing. And I'm not saying it was a bad experience. Just saying I use zip ties on my temple boards. Um, but those are two pedal boards I use. I like them. They're fine. There's tons of pedal boards out there, but those are the two I used. Uh, and that's why I'm my favorite. But I'm telling you that's they're my favorite, but also why. It's just because I don't use Velcro. I use zip ties. It works for me. So music therapy last. What's up, buddy? He says, I'm about to go buy a Steve I legacy carbon amp. And I use one because they don't make them anyway. Uh, for 550 bucks. That's a good deal. That's actually a really good deal. Um, so I can plug it into my two notes captor, into my cab, into my headphones. Am I crazy? No. <laughs> no, not at all, man. No. Are you crazy? Is that something? No, that's not something I would say would make you crazy. <laughs> so, yeah. like if you told me you were going to give plasma today, <laughs> I'm going to give plasma today and I'm going to buy. It. Actually, I still wouldn't think that was crazy. I just, I'm, I was going for something I think was crazy. And that didn't, after I said it, it didn't sound crazy to me. So, no. Um, so, no. <laughs> I was trying to make it funny, but I, I just decided to laugh without making a joke. So <laughs> we'll keep it easy way. Uh, Keith says $20 for you. Oh, he did a super chat. $25 for you and $25 for my wife. Well, that's how their state of Arizona sees it. <laughs> I'm kidding. Of course, the state of Arizona would definitely give my wife 70 of that. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that either, by the way. Uh, unless, of course, a few of you out there are divorced, and I'm sure you've just unsubscribed for me saying that. 
And of course, I mean no offense. Um, uh, let's do some non. Please, uh, after that awesome fifty dollars super chat, which is thank you so much for that, that Keith. Um, let, no more super chats. Let's just write out the rest of the show with some non super chats. I ha- I haven't been into the non super chats today. I was trying to get through those. Um, and again, if you're trying to put something to me, put a question mark first so I know it's to me when I'm skimming through. And uh, and try to grab something interesting or something fun. Um, uh, Johnny wants to know if I've tried the Axe FX3. I have not really, but yes, my buddy Eric has the Axe FX3. And I went over his house and he let me plug in and try it and stuff. And he's got a whole, he's got the rig, man. He's got the whole like on steroids, uh, Axe FX thing where it's like everything you could want from that thing. And, um, and of course, uh, I don't think, uh, Larry has the Axe FX three, but I've, I've played Larry's Axe FX and a- a- I've played a bunch of Axe FX. I had some Axe FX here at the house. Um, and you know, there's, uh, the, and I've said this before with the Helix stomp, it just works for me cause it's small form factor. And, um, the Helix stomp, and this is my suggestion to people who haven't tried any of this stuff. I think that's the gateway drug into this stuff. Uh, I think uh, I think the Helix Stomp is like if you don't understand that stuff, which is most of us, you know, and setting presets and all this stuff. The HX Stomp is like, I mean, don't get me wrong, the Headrush stuff is even <laughs> even easier than that. But I'm just saying, if you go with the Helix uh, Stomp, HX Stomp, if you mess with that and you feel like you can't figure any of that out after a few months. Uh, there's no no shot for you for the rest of the stuff, but like I said, love that stuff. Sounds it sounds great. Like I said, to me, it's all tools and it has a practical use. I decided after playing Axe of X, after playing Kemper, I went through a whole deep dive on this. Me personally, for my personal uh, journey, music journey, and what I realized was uh, why I now have bias. I have I have bias, and I have uh, I have uh, a Guitar Rig Six on my computers. That's what I decided. Um, Axe Effects to me, and it's just my opinion, Axe Effects to me and Kemper to me is portable. If I'm at home, I can buy $150 software. It kicks ass. So, and, and I'm sure there's people out there who are going to explain to me because as my friends that are in that techie world explain to me, but you don't understand, Phil, the blah, 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 mega processor can't process the reverb at the price speed of the blah, blah, blah. And that's why this, and I'm like, I, I, dude, I mean, I'm literally playing a, a Fender tube amp. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> So, so basically that's my long way of saying, uh, I like the softwares, uh, software programs for my computers at home. And that's what I, I lean into. And then I have the HX stomp. If I need something portable that works for me in the world I'm in also keep in mind too. A lot of people, like I said, when they have the Axfax or the Kemper, it's all about having all these amps. And although I do have a lot of amps, I, I, I always tell, remind everybody, I have a lot of amps because of YouTube, um, not only because companies send out some amps sometimes, that's nice, and they let me keep them. They're just like, hey, you can keep them after I do the video. And I'm like, okay, so I have them now. And also, um, like I said, I'm interested in the Bogner, so I wanted to try it out, so I bought one. This is an adventure I'm going down, you know, personal journey kind of thing with this. But yet, I wouldn't do a, a pedal review with this Bogner because half the comments would be like, man, I don't know what that pedal sounds like because you play it through a Bogner. So I play the pedal through the Fender. You know what I mean? Or something that's more... So I keep, you know, I keep amps sometimes for demos and I keep amps for certain things. Um, and by the way, I kind of sounded dicky when I just said that right now. There's nothing wrong with saying that comment, by the way. <laughs> if anyone ever says, like, I don't understand what that, that pedal sounds like because you have a Bogner. They're not wrong. They're totally right. I don't know why I made it sound like they're the jerk in that equation. 
uh, I apologize. <laughs> I was just trolling somebody. Look at that. As always, thank you guys so much for your time. Know your gear. Hey everyone, you may not know this, but the Know Your Gear podcast is 100% sponsored by patrons. No companies have ever been involved with this podcast. 235 episodes, all sponsored by you guys. And I want to say thank you. And if you want to sponsor, you just go to the Film Ignite Patreon page.